Good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. Um, my name is Scotty Staub. I am filling in for Fred, who had shoulder surgery this week and uh, is recovering well, so keep him in your prayers. This morning, we're going to focus uh, on Christ uh, and how much he means to us. And this first song that we're going to sing together um, talks about let the nations be glad. And uh, my role as a missionary is seeing that firsthand. Last year, many of uh, my colleagues uh, not only experienced persecution, but some of them lost loved ones. And, um, and so when we think about how knowing Christ affects each and every one of us, every nation, uh, every creed, and it is so exciting to be able to sing about how glad we can be in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Uh, let's, let's go have a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll get started. Father, we thank you for this time of worship uh, as we lift our voices to you. Uh, give us a great uh, uh, time of singing, of, of listening to the words, and to applying them to our heart. Uh, Lord, we thank you in this new year, uh, how, we, how we want to lift you up and uh, sing your praises. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with me, please? we shall proclaim to the corners of the earth that Christ is God. Let the nations be glad, let the people rejoice, for salvation belongs to our God. Let the whole earth be filled with the praises of belongs to our God. Let the nations be glad. Through the ages gone before, through the trial and the sword, many saints and Suffering loss shall endure all things to win the crown of life. Let the nations be glad, let the people rejoice, for salvation belongs to our God. Let the whole earth be filled with the praises of
as your holy church goes forth in the Holy Spirit's power with the glories of the gospel to exclaim. Now we pray your kingdom come and we pray your will be done for the honor and the glory of your name. Let the nations be glad this morning. Happy New Year again to you as we anticipate what is coming in this month of January and then moving forward. And obviously there are those that we're praying for and thinking about, uh, but it is always a delight to be able just to come together, worship together, express the joy that we have in the person of our Christ and the one who has truly saved us and given us hope even for 2024. Amen. Uh, Thinking about what we don't know and anticipating that he does know and grateful for his power in his position in our life. We've got several that we are praying for specifically, as Scott mentioned, uh, Fred Holcomb, our music director and pastor is not with us this morning. And uh, uh, he had, uh, always gotta be careful, shoulder surgery. Should I put those two words together too quickly and you get something very different. Uh, but uh, in any case, he uh, is recovering. Just heard from him this morning, he's doing well. But uh, I asked him if the drugs are really good. He said, oh yeah. And uh, so in any case, uh, be in prayer for him, but uh, grateful that uh, that seems to be uh, steady progress. Then there's others that uh, are going through some uh, challenges and difficult times. And uh, we had a wonderful opportunity to witness uh, a testimony well lived in, uh, in Richard Redding's life and uh, continue to pray for Linda and the family and uh, just ask the Lord to give them comfort in this time. And then several others that are there in the bulletin, you'll notice that are recovering, that uh, have also experienced loss in this time of the year. And uh, think about Alan Walker and uh, losing his mother and uh, just many that uh, this seems like to be a difficult time, uh, the time of the year in which we find ourselves. So just remember them if you would. Well, let's go to the Lord at this time and uh, let's ask his blessing upon our service and just preparing our hearts to receive from his word, from the music, from everything that we might truly honor him with our reflection, our attitude, but more importantly, our attention. Lord, what do you wanna hear? What do you wanna see? What do you wanna know about my heart's commitment to you? So asking him to commit ourselves to that. Father, we're grateful for this morning and uh, grateful for what you're doing in our midst. And Lord, for those who have 
this newness of life, Lord, the expression that we have as we think about the beginnings, the opportunities, the hope that we have in the person of Christ. I pray that today we would truly cherish what it is that you're doing day by day to renew us and to make us more and more into the image of Christ. Lord, I pray that you'll enrich our faith and that you'll increase our, our confidence in you as we live. And I pray, Lord, that you'll minister grace to us today. Lord, I pray for those who are not able to be here, whether through illness or through some other providential reason. Lord, I pray that you would give them strength and give them wisdom in these days. I pray for comfort. Lord, I pray that you would bring a real sense of peace and assurance. I ask, Lord, that you would truly help those in our midst that are going through difficult days. Lord, we're grateful also for the points of rejoicing and how, Lord, you're providing, you're caring, you're, you're sustaining ability. I pray, Lord, that you'll just help our heart's attention to be upon you and to be appreciative for you. Lord, I do ask that you would minister to every heart that's here. And Lord, for those who are watching with us online, I pray that you would also encourage them. Lord, I pray now that you'll bless this day and may you be honored through our worship to you. May you be glorified in you and you alone be seen. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Are you longing for peace today? One of the things that we have in our news cycles 24 hours a day is just, it seems like there's upheaval after upheaval. Let us sing this morning and praise his name for through peace through God is wonderful, like a river glorious.
Jesus' cross, you broke my shame and sinfulness, you rose again victorious. Faithfulness and Say 
singing this morning church and appreciate the the collection of songs and the ways they encourage our hearts thinking through these things together as we think about the the emphasis that we want to begin with even as we start into this this month of January but also into this new year I'd like for you to go with me to Romans chapter 11 this morning and want to go with us into the depths a little bit this morning in Romans chapter 11 verses 33 to 36 the last part of this chapter. For most of us that read our Bibles on a regular occasion, these verses are familiar. They're great declarations of some wonderful, almost doxological truths that Christ is given here, the, that God has given, that this expression that uh, Paul gives here of an understanding of our relationship with the Creator God, the, the magnificence of who He is, and in many ways, uh, the ways that Paul frames this is so challenging and so dear. And he says in Romans chapter 11, beginning verse 33, he says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, who became his counselor, or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Father, I pray that as we open your word now, as we take a moment to stop, and as a people we gather together and we hear the announcement of your word, the pronunciation of these things that are true, 
Lord, I pray that our hearts and minds would stay focused and attentive, that we would truly appreciate what it is that Paul, under inspiration, has given to us, but at the same time, what it is that your spirit continues to minister to us day by day, and I pray that we would cherish what these truths reveal. So guide us into truth. Let the word that is true speak these things into our hearts and minds, and let the messenger who stands here Lord, be not the object of our attention, but merely the oracle by which these things can come forth. I pray that you would be seen, that you would be heard, and Lord, that your existence would truly change us. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. When you talk about theological studies, and you do this, and I've been in seminary, and I've done all these things, and I can remember sitting in classes with guys who just wanted to prove how truly smart they were. I'm always amazed, though, at how truly intelligent God is. At the same point, and you get into theological studies, there is a span of understanding as it relates to the knowledge or the foreknowledge of God. And when you begin to put it together and you put it on a spectrum of, 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 of understanding from one end to the other, on one end of the spectrum you have a God who is not yet all-knowing and that he is always learning, that this is a God that does not know how everything will exist and end, and therefore he is in a perpetual state of coming to understanding. It's a theological stance known as open theism. And so in that sense, you have a God that is limited based upon the fact that he just is a little bit further down the road than we are, but he doesn't quite have all knowledge. On the other end of the spectrum, you have a God that seems to be aloof, and at best aloof. He is distant from the creation. In many ways, he stands apart from it, so much so that you would almost believe that he kind of just set things into motion, steps back and ignores it now. And in that sense, then, we are left with what most people would describe as fatalism. So between open theism, where a God that is always learning, and then fatalism, where there's a God who just doesn't even care anymore, who stands apart from it. Now, obviously, neither one of those are true, not as Scripture indicates. The understanding is that we believe in the sovereignty of God, in this discussion of God's sovereignty, where He is the ultimate authority. He is truly the one that has all power. And the ends of this spectrum and the understanding of that removes it really from the sense of there being a truly a, a powerful God who is at work within us. But thinking about this God and what we learn is that God as creator knows our beginning in as much as he knows our end. He knows how this chosen design of all of the potential decisions and actions could have come about and in his creative genius has set forth the direction, the course, and the, the, the existence that we know as history and even prophetic utterance, what we anticipate to be the end of all things. He knows how our lives will affect and be effective in how we all intertwine. God knows all and he actively works within but is not dependent upon our decisions to accomplish what he already knows and what he is orchestrating. And this leaves us fully able to exist within a freeness of will, but it leaves no doubt that God is doing as Romans 8 declares. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And so these verses in Romans chapter 11 offer some challenging declarations as well as some questions. 
When you go into verse 33 again, it's, it's pressing upon us this need to understand that this is the God who knows everything, and then he possesses the wisdom to put that knowledge into action for our good and ultimately for his glory to always be on display. Again in verse 33, you, you, you and I cannot even begin to fathom the depths of his judgments and go past the limits of his comprehension of how things are going to work out. In verse 34, he begins to ask some questions. Do you know the mind of God? Did God ever come to you and ask you for some form of counsel or advice? In verse 35, have you ever found God on your doorstep asking for a loan or to borrow something of value from you? In other words, has God become a debtor to you in some form of nature? And these questions are really in many ways examples of irony or even hyperbole. How foolish is really the, the end result of answering these questions? It would be very foolish for me to think and any one of us to think that we could outwit, outthink, or in some way put God into a place where he is beholding to us, where he is indebted to us. And then we come to the gavel smack. Paul throws down the microphone, as we would say in our common vernacular. And he says in verse 36, it's from him, through him, to him. All things, and let glory be given to him. And so we come to the source, the sustainer, the sum of all things in this expression here by what Paul has to say. And what I want to do this morning is I like to look at these three thoughts that's really coming out of verse 36. And look at these three points that Paul makes here as a statement, as a declaration, and yet understanding that really what we find is that, and it won't take the time this morning as much, but if you go back and through the book of Romans, this is all coming to this bridge point here in the book of Romans to make this this very great summation statement. Everything we've been leading you to understand, as Romans chapter 3 would say, that we're all sinners, we're all destitute, we're all condemned, we're all in a position without hope in the world. But it's because of who he is and because of what he has done that because it comes from him, that this is now through him the means of my salvation for by grace, this understanding that though I was dead in my trespasses and sins, but it is the gift of God that's made me know the eternal life that is that gift that he wants me to have. But everything now is to him. What does he mean by all of this? Let's look at these together for just a moment. Think through this as we're preparing ourselves to enter into a new year, into this day, into this week, into the unknown, into whatever could happen, even at the next breath. Look, first of all, that God is the source. And the idea here is more of a resource. I and mean, when the word that Paul uses here for from him carries the idea of a, of a beginning place. The understanding from Paul in these, to these believers in Rome who are they're struggling with their faith, they're struggling with persecution, they're struggling with all of the challenges of living in a very anti-Christian world. Think about that. And it begins with where it all begins, and that's with God. It's the Genesis 1-1 concept of in the beginning God created it's the John 1 and 3, 1 and 3 concept that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being 
that has come into being. It's very similar to the Acts 1-8 concept. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, to the remotest part of the earth. Everything in its origin, everything in its place, an understanding of where it all comes from and why it is we do what we do. In Matthew chapter 6, specifically in verses 25 through 33, we're, we're told that the birds have their food and the flowers have their adornment, even the grass has its lush existence because of the handiwork of God. And he goes on to say that if God knows how to clothe even the grass and feed even the most lowly of the aviary community, are you not way more important to God than those? And so we seek the authority, we seek the dominion, we seek the identity of God first. And remember where all of life comes from so that we are so enamored with God, so that we are so amazed by his accomplishment in our life, so that we are so overwhelmed by the necessity to declare to the world and be a witness of what God has done. Very similar to 1 Corinthians 4, 7, for who regards you as superior And what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast if you have not received it? Or in John chapter 15 and verse 5, we're speaking of Christ. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. And then notice that last part, for apart from me, you can do nothing. See, God is the source for everything except for what we would describe as sinful in this world I was thinking about this in the sense of connecting it to something that we could relate to, but like the Mississippi River, which extends around 2,350 miles and flows into the Gulf of Mexico through a huge delta in the southeast Louisiana. It's one of our nation's greatest rivers and songs and legends surround it. But even the great Mississippi River has a source way up in the top of Minnesota where I don't even know if it, I looked at that picture and that's Lake Itasca where the Mississippi headwater comes out of. That must have been taken in August because that's about the only time it hasn't got snow all around it. I was thinking about this, you know, this, this beautiful scenery and these, the, all of this uh, lake territory and the, the areas to the north there where the state bird is known as the mosquito. And you go up there and you, you see this beautiful area, but Lake Itasca is not this deep, you know, massive lake. It's, it's basically a quagmire up that way. But then out of that funnels down into this, this river. And there comes the source for the great Mississippi. Thinking if that lake ever dried up or that region ever dried up or something tectonic happened within the place and changed the way the springs fed this area, even the great Mississippi River would dry up. It would just become one extended dry gulch in the middle of our country. How about Niagara Falls? Anybody been to Niagara Falls? Let me see your hand. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things, you know. How many went to there on your honeymoon? Let me see your hand. I've got a few. There we go. You know, the beauty of Niagara Falls 
Niagara Falls, it's, it's said that Niagara Falls has an equivalent of 212,200 cubic feet per second of water that goes over the falls, per second. It's an elevation of 182 feet. And I began to think, okay, what is 182 feet? That's basically a 15 to 16 foot or story building. 15 story, 16 story high structure. It's a huge display of natural beauty. And yet the Niagara River comes out of Lake Erie and drops over the falls to flow into Lake Ontario. To my best understanding from recorded history, the Niagara River has dried up twice. And people have walked across its bed picking up shells and picking up other things before the waters returned. And most of the reason for its, you know, cutting off is because of ice dams or icebergs that would form at the, kind of at the, the, the beginning of the river itself. But to think about how even the inlet there of that has the potential of being cut off and losing what even what we would recognize as this magnificent, beautiful indication of nature. Where do you find your source for living? Do we live in such a dependence upon God that not only made us, but that saved us, that keeps us, that provides for us? God is the source of all of our spiritual blessings. He is the source of all that we have and everything that we possess. He is the inlet from what we have for the outflow of our existence. He is the cause for what is our effect upon this world. But beware of pride, a pride that can cause our lives to be crippled and even damned up, incapable of fully demonstrating the glory of God in our lives. And so Paul begins with that thought, for from him, he is the source. But he goes then to the second point, and that God is the sustainer, that it is through him. It's not just simply that we have received something, but that through him, or in the sense of what it is that he is doing perpetually in our existence, that he is the sustainer, he is our hope of eternity, that we're going to spend eternity with him in heaven. And it's not because of something in my inadequate attempts to do that's good enough, big enough, strong enough, more spectacular enough. It's because of the beauty and the splendor and the spectacular nature of who he is. And so our supply of health and strength is through Christ. Our incomes are because Christ sustains the job. He grants us the talents, the ability to do what we do in our life. In Psalm 55 and verse 22, it says, cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Going back to that passage in Matthew chapter 6 and verses 31 and 32, he says, Do not worry in saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. The most fundamental basics of life. Okay, but then why do we lose our jobs? Why do we lose our loved ones? Why is our marriage falling apart? Or why are we suffering in this health crisis? Or why are we suffering at all? 
Does this reflect on God's power? Does this diminish his ability to sustain anything if it appears like all of it is just falling apart? And that's really the third point, that God is the sum to him. There's a saying, and I've sought to try to figure out who originated it, and it's all over the place. So I can say it without having to give credit, I guess is the best way I can say it. That God is God and we are not. Or more personally, God is God and you are not. Oh, no, let's make it even more personal. God is God and I am not. And that's the rub. That's the most frustrating part about living this life. Is that there is a greater cause, there is a greater source, there is a greater existence than my own, which is what caused Adam and Eve their greatest consternation in the garden, remember? You will be like God. Uh Uh-uh. That was a lie. There is none like him. We are not like him. Even though he describes us in the Genesis creation act that we are created in the image of God, has nothing to do with the fullness and the expression of everything that he is as God. It's just that he has taken something that reflects his qualities and said, I will make a being as close as possible into an image that will best reflect the qualities and characteristics of what I am. But we can never be him. In Romans chapter 11, verse 33, His ways are beyond our comprehension. It's not just simply because of his intelligence, but it's because of his transcendence. That he is not bound by, nor is his existence dependent upon anything that happens within ours. Now that could make us believe that God then is a cruel God, an uncaring God. A God who just simply stands in close proximity, but really just doesn't really care, but God is neither. But cancer still claims our loved ones. Car accidents still kill and maim. Surgery still needs to take place to repair what is torn, broken, or even malfunctioning. People still lose their jobs and death still comes and terrorists still use fear to sway countries. Oh, and yes, tornadoes still destroy church buildings. But as well, faith is not based upon what is seen. Faith is not based upon what we can manipulate or what we can manage, upon what is as fallible as we are. My faith is not resting in some greater man or some greater woman. My faith is not resting in the laurels of my own abilities or my comprehensions or my education levels. Because without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. To believe that he exists that there is a being that's greater than ourselves, that there is a God who made everything, that there is a God who truly exists, and that he exists in all of the attributes that we know to be true, that he is God, and that he rewards. He recompenses those who seek him. 
And what's interesting about that thought in Hebrews chapter 11 is, is that you, you don't really know what the reward is until you read the rest of chapter 11 and that you find that he is a father. That he is a master architect who is building a city not made by the hands of man, but by his own design. You begin to read through the rest of the chapter and you find so many other things that the writer of Hebrews points out to and all the beauty of what God's best reward were for these who just simply laid down their lives and were willing to be broken, to be basically sawn in half, to be abused for the glory of Christ. Why? Because they saw him greater than anything that they could ever find here that was visible and be seen. That he is our greatest reward. And even if we suffer, even if we endure the suffering persecution that is brought or the sorrow from what life has thrown at us, but why do bad things happen? Why do terrible things take place? And that is where the problem begins to settle in. Romans chapter 11 and verse 36, it is from him, through him, and to him. He is the sum. So what can we take away from this today? I want to give you three things that you should be able to take away with you today. An understanding, first of all, that life is found only in God. What are you living for? Because second of all, what we need to understand is this, is that life is not about you. And life is not about me. Life is about God. Life is not about us making this life better, making this life easier, making this life more managed. Life is not about the trinkets that we collect or the empires that we try to create. Because third, God is to be the boast of our existence. You know why we struggle so much when the cancer diagnosis comes? It's because we didn't believe that God would be that cruel to do that to us. Instead of understanding that, Lord, what are you doing to love me so much that you are willing to entrust me with that? God, I don't understand why it is that I've worked all these years for this company and you have eliminated my job. And we begin to call upon the sovereignty of God and now we're accusing him. Instead of, okay, God, that it must be that you've got something greater in store for me. What is it? Lord, why did you tear down our buildings? Maybe it's because we had thought like the rich farmer, we have built our buildings and see how blessed we are. So let's build bigger and greater. Instead of it being that this is for the glory of God. So God has every right to tear down all 15 of the 17 structures if he chooses to, right church? Well, why isn't he building it back? Came up to somebody just the other day in this last couple of weeks, I've had a couple opportunities to share the same thought with several people. Someone asked me, so where is the building progress? I said, you know, we're still working with FEMA. Oh man, and they all feel so sorry for us. And I pause and I say this many times, do I believe in a sovereign God? Do I believe that God has absolute authority and right to do with his structures and with his church whatever he chooses to do? So if God is the one who tore my buildings down, then God is the one who has the right to build them back. And here's the other thing. 
Doesn't Scripture teach us that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills? And then we add to that, you know, it's like we do with Eve, you know, we add the thought that he owns the gold in every mine, you know, too, in those hills. Yeah? Could God not have built our buildings back instantaneously? So why didn't he? Now, we can all jump to all kinds of conclusions on that. We can begin to look around and say, who's the center? Who's the Aiken? Come on, let's, all, let's do a witch hunt now. Let's find who the Aiken is that's keeping us from getting our buildings built. But I think in the end of it, really what it comes down to is that it's about him. And what is God teaching us as a church, as a people, that we need to know? Because I'll tell you right now, we get a building built, that doesn't mean our church is done. We just move in. So who are we that's moving in? God gives us so many opportunities and examples in our lifetimes to be able to measure whether we believe these truths to be true of us. That he is the source of my existence. It's not me. I'm not God. And life isn't about me. I'm not the center of the universe. You ever accused your teenager of thinking that? And yet how often in our adult lives when God does something and it doesn't fit into our plans or what we had designed for our futures and our lives, we get angry with God because he did not come and ask me. He didn't get my advice or my counsel. How dare God. And then we want to rest in the confidence of knowing this is a sovereign God. Because, you know, every once in a while I got to go rub the lamp and get my three wishes, right? You can't have, as Job said, the blessings that come from God and not expect that we're going to suffer at times. But it's about his existence. Do you know how many churches our church has influenced as we have journeyed through difficulty and it's encouraging pastors and other church people because they're watching how Grace Baptist Church handles adversity? Do you know about a community that we have not had to abandon because we found a place that allows us to still serve within the reach of our own campus and that God is still opening doors of opportunity for us to minister to people because it's not about us, it's about Him. And as we march into 2024, I don't know what's going to happen. Neither do you. Because see, God did not come and ask my opinion on his timeliness and his calendar. But at the same time, I can go back into scripture and read that my God is good. Amen, church? My God is good, and he's good all the time. And that my God is gracious, and he's benevolent, and he is kind, he is generous. But many times, the ways that he chooses to model that is not how I would have seen it. And that's the point, because God is trying to get you to see him and to point people to him. Because what do we have to offer except our own fallibility, our own frailty, our own incapability of even determining whether or not our hearts will still be beating tomorrow? But he does. Romans chapter 11 puts it into this succinct understanding that it is to him the glory belongs forever. And so as a man, as a woman, as a son or a daughter, what is your glory? 
Let me ask you, what is it that is your glory of life? In your home and in your marriage and in your relationships, what is your glory? And as our church, what will be the glory of Grace Baptist Church? It better not be a building because we've already seen how quickly that can be taken away. It should be the organic structure of who we are because of who we are in Christ. But can we go into the depths? And I'm not talking about the depths of despair and hopelessness. I'm talking about into the depths of God's wisdom, into God's knowledge. James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, ask of the internet because it'll tell you everything, right? We ask of God. And I love that verse because there are so many times I come in my ignorance, in my stupidity, in my shallowness, in my narrow short-sightedness. And I come in a position of absolute blindness. Lord, I need your wisdom. Because your wisdom is based upon a knowledge that knows my beginning and my end. And you see my exchange in life and you know the intertwining nature of my existence. And right now I don't see it. I don't understand it. I'm frustrated. And whether it's some butterfly blowing its wings in Japan that's gotta cause a tidal wave of effect upon my existence, I don't know. But all I know, Lord, is right now I need to know what's next. Why? Because life is not about me. It's about him. Into the depths we go. And what I love is the very next chapter where Paul begs these same believers to present their bodies that were created in the image of God, that were created for the glory of God that they would not be, as verse two says, conformed to a world filled with despair, but transformed by getting our heads wrapped around a passion to prove the will of God. So what I'd like for us to do as a church, and what I wanna do as a father and as a husband for my family, and what I'm gonna ask us to do as individuals walking by grace and faith as we enter into this year that we go into this year less out of a pursuit of glory for ourselves and more of pursuing what glorifies our Lord. And so when our attitude becomes sour about things that are out of our control, or when our opinions become diluted because we have just been reading too many people's opinions and we have not been reading enough of God's opinion, or when we begin to have doubt about the austereness and the beauty and the splendor of our God, that God would hold us up accountable and put us into check and say, has it been a while since you went into the depths with me? Remember, it's about him. It's not about us. Let's stand together for a word of prayer. Father, I pray as we make ready to close 
Make ready to go into a time of fellowship where we get to enjoy the company of our believers in Christ and those who are here with us today. Lord, as we go into a discipleship hour, as we learn more about your word, as we explore more of its truth, as we bring our children back for Awan and our young people back for the youth meetings and the men's and women's studies begin again tonight. In all of these things, Lord, we can become enamored with, well, this is just me doing my religious duty. Instead of it being that I need to know the wisdom of God, I need to know what God knows. And what has he shared and what is he teaching? I need to live life in front of others because you've made us relational beings. I'm not allowed to hovel up and hide away. I have a responsibility to love others. As we go into this year, as we think about what it is that faces us as a church, and this is our family here. Lord, I thank you for the collection of people that make up Grace Baptist Church. Lord, there are challenges that we know are coming on the horizon. We've already got indication that there are things that we're gonna face and there's gonna be some great opportunities. And we know the devil hates us. He's an enemy and he wants to destroy us. And we know our own pride and our own ambitions and our own bent to being selfish and self-seeking. We know that, Lord, we can let our hearts become clouded by fear and doubt and even the, the words of those that we respect and yet at the same time allowing them to distract us and pull us away. Lord, I pray that we would stay true to understanding what it is that Paul gave to us here, that it is from you and through you and to you. That's where the glory belongs. And so, Lord, we, we check ourselves. We catch ourselves. We stop ourselves. And then we initiate the communication that lends itself to letting you become the center of attention. We draw you back to the focal point. We bring you back to the place of supremacy. We remind ourselves that it is your doing and that we are simply your vessels. We are here to be filled by you and to be dispensed by you however you see fit. And Lord, in that we are filled with blessing and reward. But most importantly, it's not about this world. It's not about this existence. It's about something greater that is to come. And so, Lord, we live today. We live this day. And let it be that today is your glory. Today is that you are the one seen. And so, Lord, for that heart that's here that's filled with so much pride, I pray that you would break them in humility. I pray for that heart that is overwhelmed with anguish and sorrow that they have completely shut down, that, Lord, you would renew their purpose and their understanding of their existence. Lord, I pray for that heart that is so cold and indifferent, that, Lord, the fire and the fervency of who you are and what your word has to say would penetrate through even the coldest of exteriors. Lord, you alone have that power and you alone have that authority to change lives. And so, Lord, we trust you. And Lord, begin with our hearts. Change us, transform us, conform us to your image. And Lord, may we be seen 
as you see us. Speak as only your word can and let the truth of it penetrate into our hearts today. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. a few announcements Camilla is going to share with us. Thank you for joining us today on this first Sunday of 2024. I'm Camilla Borma. I'm the Women's Ministry Director here at Grace. I have just a few short announcements for you as we head into our fellowship time and then on to our discipleship hour. Speaking of the discipleship hour, please remember that our Sunday school classes start today and we also have three new classes that will start next week. You can read more about that in your bulletin. There's an insert in your bulletin that tells you more about those classes. But today, Kelly O'Rear will be leading an introductory class in the foyer for anyone interested in learning more about those electives. Plus, he has a special message of encouragement for you for this new year. There's also a sign-up sheet out in the foyer for those elective classes, something new we're doing for this new year. Well, we are very excited about this evening. It seems like it's been a very long break. I know the kids will be excited about coming back to Awana. Youth group will be meeting. All of our adult Bible studies will be kicking in again. All of this starts at 5.30 p.m. If you weren't involved in any studies last year, this would be a good time to jump in and join us. 
We have several adult Bible studies that are available on Sunday evenings. There is a flyer on the, in the foyer that explains each of these studies so you can pick one and, and be sure to join us. Well, finally, this announcement is just for our ladies. <clears throat> a week from Friday, we will be meeting in Pigeon Forge at a resort that's right on the parkway for our ladies' retreat. Allison Hale is flying in from the Dominican Republic. She will be speaking on Friday night and Saturday morning. Ladies, there is still time to join us. There is a flyer out in the foyer that tells the itinerary. It gives you the information on how to register. You can also call me or catch up with me. I'd love to talk to you about it. We would love to have each of you join us as you just take a a step away from your responsibilities and have an opportunity to rejuvenate and reset for this coming year. Well, we're excited to see you in our fellowship time and then don't forget our discipleship hour uh, afterwards. Thank you for coming and you are dismissed.